Welcome back to episode 20 of the Nourish Your Potential podcast. My name is Kushla and I'm a registered and accredited sports dietitian based in beautiful Methan, New Zealand. In this episode, I catch up with Brett Rennell, who many of you may know from the first season of Married at First Sight New Zealand, or maybe you've purchased one of his epic woodpecker signs. The main reason I got Brett to join me was because he is an awesome advocate for diabetes New Zealand and openly shares his experiences with this on social media. We have a really great conversation around his journey with type 1 diabetes before diving into some behind the scenes of what it was like to be on reality TV. I hope you enjoy. Right, Brett, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me. All right, thanks for having me. Currently in your car outside work. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm pretty rural, so uh, the, and it's a farm shed, so the, the Wi-Fi and um, cell phone reception in there is not the best. So yeah, I just walk outside, and it's good. It's a good, good way to get yourself outside, to, and it keeps you off social media. If you need to check it, you go outside in the freezing cold. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. No, no slacking off. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Um, is this Woodpecker Signs? Yep, Woodpecker Signs HQ. Yep, that's where I am. Yep. So this is your full-time work? Yeah, yep. It's funny, I, I make wooden signs, which is very niche, and people, I think they think I'm like a student or I do it for a hobby or something. But no, it, um, it keeps me really busy, so sort of a good, good wee niche business, and it's, yeah, it's full-time. It's, it's um, yeah, I guess we, we kind of make out like we're quite small but yeah it's probably a bigger thing than, than a lot of people imagine yeah yeah absolutely I think um you know I drive around Canterbury and I don't really know any other companies like yours that would make them but I'm like oh yeah it's probably a woodpecker sign <laughs> like that everywhere <laughs> yeah we've been pretty lucky we've been around for a while now and we do a lot of time at A&P shows and stuff and it's a sort of product that when you see it um they sort of sell themselves and generally if the neighbor gets one someone will drive past and Go, oh yeah oh that looks great and and we've got our sort of our stamp on the back of it or the side or somewhere and or people just google and we come up um and yeah we've just sort of expanded the business over the years and we do a lot of preschools and but yeah it's mostly rural but um lots of schools and we've been lucky that timber's such just so, such a cool and great thing that people love mm. um and it's great people generally even more and more every year are going away from a plastic sign um, and heading towards like something better for the environment, which is wood, which is just life in general, right? So yeah. it's good having a business like ours that um, uses wood that, you know, that's sustainable. And um, yeah, I think we're just going to get busier and busier, which is great. And the awesome thing about the work you produce is it's literally an advertisement in itself. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, they, yeah, big word of mouth and they, they sell themselves. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Generally, even down in Tekapo, I know a couple of batches got them and now the whole street's got them, which is pretty cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's good. It's very good. Awesome. Hey, so one of the main reasons I wanted to get you on today was obviously this is a nutrition-based podcast um, and you're very much an advocate around type 1 diabetes and also have that yourself. So I'd love to spend quite a bit of time talking about your own experience with that and the good and the challenges and I guess just chatting about it in a way that helps other people out there just understand that you know they're not alone with all the struggles it brings as well um and hopefully if we have time at the end I'd love to yeah hear a bit more about the married at first sight experience from a few years yeah. ago as well which um, I'm sure many people would love to hear more on so um can you start maybe by telling us what your diagnosis journey was like like what age were you and what did that look like yeah, so I got it in 1990 um, when I was seven. So if you get out there with maths, you can figure out how old I am. But, <laughs> so I got it at seven. My parents were actually on holiday in Australia um, for and left my nana and granddad in charge. And my nana was like, there's something wrong with Brett. So took me to I, I remember it so vividly. I remember I was seven years old and I remember the whole week. And was I was in hospital for a whole week. Back then there was, you know, not many people um, around with it. And it was... It was pretty meaty, um, pretty old school, 1990. So I actually remember the first finger pricker was like a slingshot. I had nothing hiding the um, the needle that goes into your finger to get the blood for the blood test. I actually remember it as a seven-year-old. It was pretty scary. Like, it went, well, bang, <laughs> finger pricked your finger. Um, and, yeah, it was pretty, I guess, very scary for a seven-year-old. Mm. Um, and no one really knew what it was. Um, so, like, I had all the kids from school send me Ninja Turtle cards and um, it was it was quite a big ordeal because even my parents didn't really know much about it. 
Um, and we never had anyone in the family, no one knew anyone with it at all. And I, and I just got it at seven years old. And um, yeah, I had it ever since. I don't really know any difference. I guess that's one good way, I guess. Mm. Gosh. And what were your, like, when you, did you say you're staying with your nana? At the time. Nana was looking after us at our house, yeah. 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 And I did a cross country and I was like a real fit, active kid. Mm. And at the end of the cross country, I think I was sick. And my nana's like, that's weird. Like, Brett would normally smash that and like want to do it again, sort of thing. Mm. And I, I um, threw up when Nana was like, that's weird. And I was just drinking heaps, which mm. is like a common sign. And um, yeah, luckily the GP, Nana took me to decide to test my blood sugars. And I think they're in the high 20s. And yes, straight to hospital, pretty much. Mm. But yeah, got lucky even back then. I know a lot of GPs sort of miss those sort of signals. But um, yeah, yeah. And do you feel like from from then did you grasp the the concept of it quite easily and like find it okay from a young age to sort of learn as you went and you know it wasn't such a big shock or was it quite hard to you know learn all that as a child and I guess adjust your life around oh. that. I've got a really good story for you. Um, I actually wrote about it in school, said English, and it got, did, did me really well. But basically, I got back from the hospital. I was at home as a seven-year-old, and one of my dad's workers brought over some of those fruit drink lollies, you know, the ones that have the sugar sort of on the outside? Yes. I don't actually know if they sell those anymore, but, you know, hopefully people out there know what I'm talking about. And what I – mum saw me in the kitchen was like – and saw me in this into these lollies, and she said, oh, Brett, um, remember we've talked about this, that you're not eating anything with sugar in it anymore? Because back then it was very different. It was like basically you couldn't have sugar. Mm. You only had um, sugar if you were low sort of thing. So mum goes, oh, you know, sorry, Brett. And I'm like, oh, don't worry, mum. And I have scraped all the sugar off. And I got out these germs out of the packet and individually like swiped all the little bits oh. of sugar. Because as a seven-year-old, you just think the sugar you know, is on the outside. You don't understand that the sugar on the inside. So like mum said it was like very cute, but also like really like upsetting. Like how do you... What can you do with a seven-year-old that thinks like that? And, um, yeah, so I thought that, and I use that story later in life, and I'm sure parents out there listening will, 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 will sort of get that sort of thing. But um, I guess over time, yeah, and what was really cool back then, and I think they still do it now, um, was their diabetic camps. Yes. So within very quick, the diabetes center got me in with other kids with diabetes, and it actually got me into snowboarding, and I, and I was traveled the world snowboarding. And that was actually through diabetes. So, mm. you know, I, I choose to be positive and think about it. I would never have got into snowboarding without diabetes because my family, we wouldn't have been able to afford to take. It's a very expensive sport. But with the diabetes every year, we went to um, Mount Dobson, then we went to Mount Hart and Cheeseman, different ski fields every school holidays in winter. Yeah. So that got me into it then. Um, but, yeah, and they, you sort of learn off the other kids. I remember I went to my first camp seven. I couldn't inject myself, but mum did it. And then I think it would have been seven and a half, maybe eight. And I saw all the other kids that had done it. Some of them had probably had diabetes since uh, three or four or whatever. And I was like, oh, well, if they can do it, I can do it, you know? So, and then mum said, I come back from that camp and I was like, first thing, rushed up, tell mum I can check myself now. Mm. So that, that was pretty cool. Mm. Um, yeah, it was all basically syringes back then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so many questions. So um, when you said the Diabetes Centre, have you been in Canterbury your whole life? Like, was this the Christchurch Diabetes Centre? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, I've travelled a lot in my adult years, but yeah, yeah from, from, and I'm back in Christchurch now. But um, yeah, I've always had a real good relationship with um, Diabetes uh, Christchurch, Canterbury, and yeah. um, and the youth, those camps were just awesome. Yeah. I think they still do them now. I'm not, I'm not too sure on, um, I think they're not as regular as normal, but but yeah, I know other diabetes centers around New Zealand do them, and they're awesome just for kids to be around other kids with it. You know, you don't yeah. want, and you can learn off them, and you know you're not different and all that. Like they were game changers for me. Anyway, I did them, and then I, when I was, um, I think they the care support things maybe finishes at 18 or 16. I can't remember, but um, I was uh, ended up being a leader on those, so I went and helped out. And that even when I was a kid, the adult leaders were people with diabetes as well. Yeah. So that was cool. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. I can confirm they still do the camps because I worked up at uh, Christchurch Outpatients until very recently in diabetes. Um, and every yeah, year, sweet. yeah, they take a, a group of kids. And it's great because instead of just a one-off appointment, it's actually having help and support through everyday life for consecutive days, which I think is really, really helpful. Um, yeah. So that's, that's really cool. Um, and the snowboarding. That's epic. I didn't know you snowboarded. 
Yeah, I was pretty lucky. I obviously got into it through diabetes, and then when I left school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I got a job up at Mount Hutt, just in the rental apartment. Yeah. And then from there, yeah, did seasons in um, Vale in Colorado. Oh, so wow. So for about, for about eight years, I never saw a summer, which is kind of different. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I snowboarded at yeah, Mount Hutt, worked up there for a long time, and yeah, in, in the States, and it was awesome. Yeah, it was great. Oh, wow. That's real cool. Have you got a season's pass up Mount Hutt for this year? I do, yep. I've had, I broke my leg a couple of years ago as well, so I haven't been up for a couple of years. I did one day last year and then obviously COVID hit. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I know a few people that still work up there and, um, yeah, I still love it. Try to get up as much as I can. It's beautiful. It's good escapism. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's different up there. Yeah, for sure. It's great. So um, you got into the injections and uh, did that through some of your time with diabetes. When did you make the move to an insulin pump? Yeah, well, it's quite a bizarre story, mine. Um, I, that one of those first trips to America, the family who owned um, the ski shop that I'd got a job at picked me up and I thought, oh, I'd better tell them straight away I'm a diabetic. Like, I always think it's good to sort of tell people straight away um, you know, then, then you know, in case anything happens, etc. And I said to them, oh, I've got diabetes, and they said, Oh, our daughter Hillary's got type one diabetes, and I was like, Oh, that's cool. And you wouldn't believe it, but she was she was born with it, so it's slightly different type one to someone like me got it at seven. And she was on this diabetic trial on um, tablets, to, and she was one of the first ever to get to get off an insulin pump. And so they had a spare insulin pump. So you wouldn't believe it, but they managed and they gifted me an insulin pump because I was looking into them then as well. Yeah. And they were a bit cheaper in the States. Um, they're still around 10 grand. And so I sort of said to them, oh, I'm looking for one. And then they were like, oh, we've got the spare one here because our daughter had done this crazy um, tablet sort of trial research thing. And um, yeah, so I ended up getting a pump in America for the first time and went through their system. Oh. of getting the pump and getting help yeah, at the Barbara Davis Centre in Colorado, which is one of the leading diabetes. Um, it's mostly for children, for youth, but it's one of the leading diabetes research centres in the world. Mm-hmm. And they were so helpful and so good. And obviously I didn't have medical insurance and stuff, but they were like, no, nah, let's help this guy out from New Zealand and, and sort of got me through. And um, it was really special going through it over there as well. Mm. And then, yeah, come back to New Zealand with a pump and, and just pay for supplies um, until I went uh, went and get through and um, got a, got accepted to have my supplies paid for, which took years in New Zealand, but, yeah. Was the pump you got in the States different to the ones available in New Zealand? No, it was a Paradigm pump. Um, Medtronic one and it oh. was it was actually it was fine it was um, yeah it was it, I've, you know I could go on about this for ages but we're so behind the times in New Zealand you know I think even back then the pumps I was seeing when I got that one um, by the time I got back to New Zealand because I was doing winters and things we were still three years behind that pump like, I didn't come to New Zealand with the best pump I'm sure other people had it but we were just so slow behind getting sort of that technology um, in. And I think we are still in a way. We've come a long way and we are improving. But, yeah, the, the Americans, um, yeah, they had some awesome technology and pumps then and, and, and still do, yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. New Zealand, especially with the continuous glucose monitors and th- that kind of technology, or you know, the Freestyle Libre, which is funded in most countries and not New Zealand, um, it, we are very much behind from that perspective. Um, with the with the pump, I should also for, for people listening, I guess the best way to explain an insulin pump is like a uh, external technological pancreas that you basically set to your own needs, um, and you. Um, set rates through the day and then you can give more for meals or if your levels are high basically is the best way to explain it um, there's two in New Zealand that you can get funded and that's the Medtronic and the Tandem so have you had the choice of choosing between the pumps and why did you choose the one you have yeah good question yeah I did have the choice and I was actually on a paradigm pump and I've I've, I've been on them before and, and I've liked their system so like I'm I didn't want to change, but um, I looked into it a lot, and and basically the T Slim at the time it has changed again was had software in it that you could update, 
because that we can look ahead and see what America are doing, and they had the ability for when you're having a high, high blood sugar for the insulin to automatically adjust. That re- that was already out in the states, but that hadn't been approved in New Zealand. It'd been approved in Australia, England, things. So with the um, T Slim tandem pump and one now, it has the ability to update that, mm-hmm. which I've just done. Yeah. At the time, Paradigm didn't have that. So or Metronic. So now now they've brought that in. So now the, the choice is um, I don't know if it's easier or harder, but it's a different choice to what I made, and that was only two or three years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's continually changing. Um, I think the new pump now from Medtronic, I, I believe it, it does just as good a job as updating your levels when they're going up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I always say, so, you know, there's, there's never a good time to get diabetes. It's, 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 it's you know, it never leaves you. It's never a good time ever to get it. But if there is, it's now. Mm-hmm. Um, if my mum's cousin's daughter has a young daughter. She's three or four. She's got it. And it sucks for her. Like, it's, it's terrible. Like, it's not good. But, the technology is awesome mm. so you know if i compare it to what i had when i was um at seven yeah it's it's so much better with the pumps and the, um the cgm monitors and and even on my iphone watch like i can be talking to you right now and i can have a look and tell you what i am it's pretty cool 8.5 there we go yeah <laughs> yeah so so yeah. it's pretty it's pretty cool the technology out there and i mean i'm a massive advocate and fan for it yeah do you, so you use CGM? Yeah, yeah, the Medtronic and the G6. I've got the Dexcom G6. Yeah. Um, they're absolutely brilliant, and, and from what I know, it's the most accurate. You've got to pay for that, and that's mm. what the real diabetic around New Zealand is trying to get, which is great, is get them funded. Mm. Um, and fingers crossed we can do that, and there's people re- working really hard behind the scenes. Because, yeah. man, that's awesome, eh? I, I could not go back to finger pricking myself, but. Um, obviously people out there have to do it which is really sad but um, yeah well it's just such an extra barrier isn't it to managing your diabetes well is to have to stop and finger prick and you know you're only getting one point in time rather than the overall trend so yeah hopefully that will change soon huh <laughs> yeah yeah fingers crossed um, yeah we've come a long way and we've got a long way to go but but yeah fingers crossed that can I mean they're, they're doing great things all the time yeah it, hopefully it'll, it'll happen sooner rather than later yeah so with your experiencing experience with type one, what would you say currently is like your biggest day-to-day frustration? Like, is there something that tends to happen every day with your blood sugar that you just can't seem to correct or like, what's, what's your frustration? Um, I guess there's probably two The the first one, um, is I'm a shocker for, uh, I'm sort of reactive rather than proactive. So like I'll eat something. And then I'll go high, I go, oh, I better give myself some insulin, you know, rather than being proactive and, okay, while I'm waiting for my food to get ready or whatever. Um, and I eat, I'm, I'm real fast at work, like I don't really stop for lunch and things. So taking that time, you know, sort of 10 or 15 minutes before I eat to take some insulin is probably, you know, my Achilles heel and always has been. Yeah. With the new pump and everything, it's way better. And um, so that's probably one frustration is like you really need to um, – get that insulin in before you eat. You know, if you do it while you're eating, it's not too bad, but after you eat, it's just too late. Like, you're going to have spikes. Mm. And then the other one is, I guess, like, everyone out there is exercise. Um, I exercise in the morning, but, but that'll change soon. Um, I'm exercising in the morning, like, 6 a.m., and then I go a little bit high after it, and not every day it's the same either, but mm. generally I go a little bit high after it, and then I have a delayed onset of my lows, so my lows from exercising at 6am can hit me sort of like 8 or 9 at night. Mm. Um, so that's quite hard to deal with because you've kind of, by that stage, you've sorted out your blood sugars, you've had a good dinner or whatever, and then everything's cool, and then you just get hit with this delayed sort of onset of a low. Mm. The great thing with the G6 and the pump is, you know, you can see that, which is cool, and you can... Um, put plans in place for that. And the new pump now with the new upgrade, you can actually put in when you have your exercise as well and when you're sleeping. So like I said, that technology side of it is just going to help that frustration. But, but yeah, exercise is never easy. Yeah. The exercise you tend to do earlier in the morning, what kind of intensity, what type of exercise is that? Um, yeah, good question. It's just circuit training basically. So I used to do your 45 for a long time and really enjoyed that. And, I've just signed up to a new one, UBX, um, it's a fitness 
sort of similar thing with um, it's a bit more boxing related. Oh, yeah. So you sort of 12 three-minute rounds of boxing and, and fitness as well. Mm. Yeah. And would you normally... So it's pretty high-intensity stuff, yeah. Would you generally correct the high after exercise or do you just leave it and then just take insulin with the food after? Good question. It really depends. Like if, if I'm sort of over sort of 12 or 13, then yeah, I will correct it. But mm. if I'm sort of around sort of 10, 11, 12, then, I, then, I'll, then I'll let it go. But that's changed once again with this new update of the pump. Um, new update now when you're going high, it will give you insulin. Mm. So I've got a meeting with a nurse in Christchurch next week. So that'll be what we're talking about is, um, you know, is does this pump and this new upgrade, does it learn that you do, what you're doing and will it adjust automatically or do I need to sort of adjust that? Um, so, yeah, yeah, getting pretty technical there, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you tell people you have diabetes, do you find it frustrating sometimes? Um, do, would people sometimes just assume like they think it's just type, like they don't really understand the difference between type one and type two. Do you feel like you always have to try oh, and explain? <laughs> yeah, every type one will, will tell you that as well. Um, it's my biggest frustration. I've, I've talked to many, many people over the years about it, and even medical experts have all agreed. Like whoever named it, type one and type two is like is like the biggest decision, dumb decision ever. Like <laughs> they should have been called two completely different things. You know? Yes. Like type one and type two, it's it's just so bizarre. Like one should be called. They are both forms of diabetes, but they just needed to be named differently. Yeah. Um, maybe we could change it. Who knows? But, <laughs> yeah, so automatically everyone's granddad, or not everyone, but a lot of people's granddad or grandparents have had it, and it's just so different to what um, us type ones have. And, yeah, and then you've got to let everyone speak and talk about the grandfather. That's fine. And then you try to, try to explain to them what you've got, and they don't really align at all, do they? Mm. Um so yeah, we did it. I did a campaign with Diabetes New Zealand a couple of years ago, and that was the whole Diabetes Awareness Month was about that, mm. explaining to people the difference. Because um, I guess all we can do as type ones is tell people, right? Everyone listening to this today you can maybe Google after this the main differences between type one and two, and and yeah, and how different they are. Because it's so frustrating for type ones, mm. like their any parents, because yeah, I've, I don't think they could be any different really, mm. in my opinion. Then. But yet they have this such similar name. It's very, very bizarre to me. Yes, I can imagine that would be super frustrating. Um, well, type one yeah. is an autoimmune disease to start with. So um, yeah, it's, and one's more yeah. lifestyle, uh, genetic. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was slightly different as a kid. People would say, "Oh, did you have too much sugar?" And, and I was just a young boy, like, "Oh no," nah, and just I don't even know what I said. But it didn't really bother me. Mm. But I know how that could be quite damaging to some young people. Like, oh, you got it because you ate too much sugar, you know? Like, that's that's a bit rough. And, um, and that could, you know, that's what generally, because that's what the other one is, you know, your, your diet's bad or whatever. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's a frustration for sure. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully with the world and Google, more people are learning every day. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. using Hopefully. Google the right way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, with your own food intake and dietary patterns, is there anything specific you do or the way you eat to manage your own blood sugars? Yeah, well, it's really interesting when, yeah, the old school dietitians um, long before your time were horrible people. Food like, police. I don't know how to explain them. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you've got an angry auntie out there or great aunt or something. That's what they were, yeah, the fun police. Yeah, the food police. Yeah, so we used to eat things like digestive biscuits. I don't even know if they're around, but everything was like, because um, obviously sugar's called spikes, right? So they just had a, like a no... I don't know, the technology and the research back then was like, nah, you're not having it. So in some ways it was quite good because I don't really have a sweet tooth that much anymore because I was, it just sucked for my brother and sister because it's like Easter, like no one got sugar because Brett can't have it, you know. <laughs> Whereas now it's, it's changed because you can actually measure the sugar in there and put that into your pump, you know, and you can tell, you can carb count and do that. But in my head, it's so much easier to carb count if you're not having high sugary food. It's so much easier. And that was sort of what I was brought up on. Um, and I'm really good at carb counting the food that I've always eaten, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so it's tricky when you go out for dinners and, and stuff like that. Um, but, 
yeah, I think over the years I was just brought up pretty old school. Mm. Um, and yeah, so my dietary things, yeah, I just try to eat limited, like limited sugar. I just find it easier. Yeah. Personally, yeah. Limited sugars, or do you like? Are you quite limited with carbohydrate intake overall? Um, yeah, good question. I I guess it depends what I'm doing, and like with the fitness side of it, yeah, we, I try to cut carbs out a little bit. Um, but talk with a dietitian about it once, and you've got, you've got to be careful with cutting carbs out. Mm. Obviously, carbs are energy, so um, yeah, I, I tend to just try eat healthy. What I mean by cutting out sugar is like no chocolate or ice cream, anything like that. I just find that spikes me. Mm. So, in my opinion, it, and I don't really miss it that much. I try avoid that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, even though if you carb count it, you can. But I, I just find it like my, my levels were at their best when I went. Basically, I was eating salad and meat. I was eating veggies too, like good good carbs, but I was doing almost a paleo sort of a diet, and that worked really well. I had awesome levels. I'm not doing that currently, but um, I know that worked really well for me. Mm. Um, and it's easy to carb count when you're eating when you're eating well, in my opinion, with veggies and stuff. Mm. Super easy to carb count, whereas when you start um, doing sort of out-the-gate foods, I, I, for me, it gets tricky anyway. Mm. And would you say you carb count really accurately daily or do you sort of just end up <laughs> doing the, oh, yeah, around this? Who, who's asking? <laughs> yeah, just don't, uh, don't tell I'm, your dietitian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really honest. Like, I, I'm, actually, I'm real hard on myself. It's probably one of my biggest flaws as a diabetic. I think I'm like, oh, man, I'm not doing that well. But that's what's great for anyone out there that you go and see a doctor or a nurse because they, they should be the ones saying you're actually doing a better job than you think. And that's with me as well. Like I said to my dietitian once, I don't actually know how accurate carb counting. And she just said, oh, what do you think this is? And she's like, yeah, you're spot on. Like you're actually, um, you just sort of get a gut feel for it. And I mean, if you're doing everything, anything three times a day or five times a day or how many times you eat, you're going to get good at that. Mm. So um, there's apps and things out there. I've tried all them, but generally it's just all in my head really. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think I'm not too bad. But like I said, it's just so tough when you go out to a restaurant. Like, who knows what's in it? You can ask questions, of course. We we, we use um, my food bag or HelloFresh, things like that. They're awesome because mm. they have the carbs already on it. So, like, I think that's a massive game changer. People probably don't talk about that enough. But um, And the Nadi Lim, I think she's my food bag. They had, a, they had a healthy one that I used for a while, and that was awesome. Like, yeah, that was limited carbs but still really healthy good food and yeah had the amount on there so you can't really get that wrong which was cool yeah exactly um and i i've heard a lot of that like the same thing from uh, diabetics i've worked with is if you make it as they say and serve it up at the same amounts then you can you know enter exactly what the carbs is on the recipe card so it's easy as it's great and if yes. you've got it for leftovers the next day then your lunch is sorted too <laughs> so it's um yeah really good. yeah perfect yeah. Yeah. So for anyone out there who um, also has type 1 or maybe is newly diagnosed, what would be some of your top words of wisdom? Well, but yeah, don't be too hard on yourself. Like, it, it, it's a lot. You'll get better at it over time. Use technology. Um, I know it's expensive, but, um, you know, find a way, if you can, to get the freestyle Libre is great as well. I think that's a bit cheaper. Um, maybe someone's got an iPhone watch you can use, whatever, like, do... Use technology like it's there. It's there for a reason, and I think it's um, New Zealand will get better at that. And yeah, just use technology. Don't be too hard on yourself. And um, and there's nothing you can't do either. I think you know I'm a good example of you know I snowboarded around the world. I went on TV, whatever. Like, and I actually put on my application for that. Like, I don't rule me out because I'm diabetic. That's the sort of mindset I had. Like, mm. where it doesn't really matter. You know, like I think. Yeah, and don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah, and you can do absolutely anything. There's nothing you can't do with type 1, and there's plenty of good examples out there. Mm, absolutely, yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, one other question I was going to ask was around, I know there's a few Facebook pages out there that are like type 1 support groups and that kind of thing. Are you part of any of them in New Zealand? Yeah, I am. I, I've got a love-hate relationship with them. Like, mm. there's so many. So, someone will put up a post about something, and then there's just so many people that get on this sort of like bandwagon, and it doesn't mean to turn negative, but it can. So, I think 
you, you've got to trust, um, you know, your, your, your diabetes center in Christchurch are awesome. Um, shout out to my nurses there um, <laughs> and all my crew there. Like, they're awesome. But they say to me a lot, a lot of people don't even turn up, you know. Mm. Um, and I think if, you know, oh, those Facebook groups here, love, hey, I, I don't want to talk them down because they're just really good stuff. But I know there's even one guy in there who's got amazing H1Cs. He's putting it on there and then people are questioning him and I'm just like, like I don't know. It, you know, yeah, I think most people you know that social media has its good and bad things. Mm. But, um, yeah, I definitely, I, I don't pay too much attention for that reason that anyone can put a post up and not all the time it's sort of, it's a little bit misguided at times, I think. Um, I don't know. But, yeah. Love hate, what I would say with that sort of those sort of groups. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's a worry where sometimes there's misinformation that's shared, or oh, you know, look how great my blood sugars are, and other people might be like, oh, that makes me feel a bit stink, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I even think sort of the influencer world with Instagram. There's these diabetes out there, six packs. I'm like, how are you doing that? Putting insulin in your guts, like, you know what I mean? Like it creates fat cells, like. And I just think, yeah, if anything, we need more sort of realistic um, diabetes conversations, I think. Mm. I think there's a lot of sort of what you said, um, people out there, these awesome levels, and it's like, nah, it's, it's not really about that. Um, if I'm sharing anything, um, I'm lucky today, I'm 8.5. But generally, you know, I, I don't mind sharing it from high or low because it, it you, you can't avoid it. It's mm. impossible. So. Mm. Well, sort of I mean, yeah. Take take a lot of the with a grain of salt, I would say. Yeah, take a lot of with a grain of salt. You know, like yes, yes, there's some awesome stuff on there, but then there's also some yeah stuff on there that I don't know. It's not. It isn't like from your your, di- your dietitian, your nurse, your doctor who 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 know. You know. Mm. So yeah. Yeah, no, good advice, yeah. Um, right, what we might jump into now is I would love to hear more about your experience on Married at First Sight New Zealand, which I think was it the first series ever you were on? Yes, yeah, yeah, we were. The, the first one in New Zealand anyway. They have been on in um, America and Australia and a few other places, yeah. So did you hear it? Did you see it advertised or did a friend tell you about it? Like what made you go, oh, yeah, I'm going to give this a crack? <laughs> I guess at the time I was single and I, I pretty much did a fuck. I thought, what have I got to lose? And I never actually thought that I would make it on the show. Um, they're pretty clever at telling you that you're sort of not on, you know, and then next thing you know, they're like, oh, you have two weeks, you get married. And you're like, oh, they don't give you much time to pull out either, which is very clever on their behalf. Um, but, yeah, I sort of just applied and didn't think much of it. Um, I actually thought when I applied that, you know, I, I knew the basis of the show. I'd never watched the show before. I'd never watched a single episode, so I thought from what everyone had told me, they asked me to watch some on YouTube, and it was, it was too boring for me, which was funny. I was like, nah, <laughs> sort of watching that. Yeah. And um, I just thought from what I'd seen, well, I might potentially get matched up with someone crazy, but then I thought if I go on and be who I am, which is a good Kiwi bloke, um, Kiwi country bloke, if I just went on and be myself, um you know, then basically that might not work out. But then, in my opinion, I thought once the show ended, that the phone would call, and that would maybe then I'd meet someone then, post the show, if it didn't go well. But yeah, there's another story, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it went well. Yeah, such a successful story, and based off New Zealand reality TV shows, one of two successful couples, with the other being Art and Matilda off The Bachelor. Um, I don't, maybe I've missed other couples, but yeah, I mean, it's crazy that you've gone on a reality TV show and been so well matched and it's just such a success story. Yeah, I think there's one other couple, um, I think they're across Shitch too, um, that, that did okay out of Merit at First Sight, but but yeah, we, yeah, we got lucky, hit sort of the jackpot, um, yeah, we got very, yeah, the odds were against us, of course, so, yeah, we got real lucky, I think we were quite lucky it was the first season too, I think it was, um, yeah, it wasn't maybe what it what it has been. Yeah, like a bit like more the, uh, natural and as it is sort of thing. Is it? Yeah, I think so. And I think um, you know, Angel's a bit similar to me, sort of applied and, and wasn't quite sure, um, you know, what 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 it was about and things like that. Whereas I think um, as it's got more popular and things have happened, I definitely think there's sort of different sort of person applying to be on it now. Probably I don't actually know, but. I think the first season we felt like it was it was pretty genuine and all that. So yeah. Mm. Okay. God, so 
I, I can't imagine what it must feel like to be on TV waiting for your bride to walk down the aisle and having no idea who that is. Like, that must have been so nerve-wracking. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty intense. They were, um, it was quite a long time as well. They kind of, like, I guess they wanted me to look nervous for TV. <laughs> they're probably hoping that sweat was drop, dripping off me. But, um, but yeah, it did. It felt like forever and... Yeah, I was like, oh, she actually turning up, but they want they want that, you know, for the for the for the for the TV shot, so they want you to be nervous. But yeah, and I also thought um, my best man and my and my groomsman and my brother was one of my groomsmen, so I thought they'd be up there with me, but they were like, oh no, nah, they've got to sit over there because oh. uh, we want just your face, you know, we want you more nervous. I was like, oh great. Yeah. Oh no. So yeah. yeah, yeah, I was up there on my own. Well, your blood sugar's high that day. <laughs> Yeah, it was funny. I went and got my HbA1c done, which is for those listening that don't know, it's your sort of average blood sugar, I guess, over a period of time that you aim to get at a certain level. And I, I, after that, I went and got it, and I and I was a bit high, and and they said, oh, "Have you been stressed out?" And I was like thinking, "Oh no, I've been too stressed out." And I was like, "I kind of just kind of blow over my mind, like." And then they're like, "Oh, but you were on TV, weren't you?" I was like, "Oh, yeah, I was too." Like, I mean, <laughs> Obviously, yeah, like my HBNC was high just because of the because of the stress from um, the show, basically the first, before it all went good. But the waking and stuff was pretty uh, pretty hard on the old blood sugars for sure. I had no worries about Yarn Bo, that's for sure. No, my goodness. And like through the rest of the show, do you feel like what we saw on TV was quite a true reflection of what the reality was, or do you think they sometimes like? made the story a bit more dramatic or um yeah i mean i can only speak for myself but from what me and angel watched yeah, it was 100 percent pretty much accurate or maybe 95 percent accurate there's one scene at the end there where they um in the last episode where they tried to make out like i was going to say no but i guess they had to you know like at the end of the day it's a business right like, like i was never saying no but that's quite boring so they somehow like edited up something where i you know that made it look like potentially britain but that was in the ads during the week on the last episode, I might might say no to um, continuing with Angel, but it was always a, always a yes. So there was probably that. Um, but yeah, the rest of it, what you see is what you get as far from my side of it. Um, but yeah, I can't really speak for the others and how it played out for them. And they were very stressed. I mean, uh, I can't imagine like it was stressful and pretty intense, and ours went well. So I, I can't imagine what it was like for the ones where it didn't go well and the, and there would have been the stress of the relationship and there's cameras around it. It's just a completely different experience to mine and Angel's. So, yeah, I feel for them. But, um, but yeah, what, what you see is what you get, if you're asking me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's pretty cool that, you you know, you're just yourself and you go on TV and if you can just be, you know, your authentic, true self, then what do you have to lose? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I did. Somehow pulled it off. Yeah. yeah. What did your family and friends yeah. think when you first told them you're going to be on the show? Oh, well, mum was real keen, like to get me on there. But then when I told her I was on it, she was like, "Well, I guess she just no one expected me really to get on, you know." Um, like so, she was keen before. I think she just wanted me to settle down, find a wife, you know, like most mums do. And then um, when it obviously said I want to be on it, I think sort of a jaw hit the floor, you know. But, um, no, they were all pretty good and supportive. Once again, it was basically like a book of fight in two weeks, so it was more like sort of panic stations to get ready for it, get about two weeks' notice yeah, before, before the big day, which is nothing. And how long between, like, when it was filmed and when we saw it, was it? Like, could you tell many people about the outcome or did you have to keep it quite hush-hush? Um, no, they told us um, to keep it quiet and we weren't supposed to see each other in public and things like that. Um, but they were pretty good. I think our series maybe filming ended in, well, we got married in August. And maybe it's sort of six, so maybe it finished in September and maybe there was maybe six weeks or maybe 10 weeks between um, when the show ended until when it started. Mm. They, the, the, basically, the head of the show, the producer said, looked at us and he said the same, he said, I said the same thing to Art Matilda. He, looked at me and he said, you guys aren't allowed to be seen in public, and then sort of gave me like a wink and then said, you know, but if you if you did somehow randomly turn up at the same house, just make sure no one else sees you, you know, sort of thing. 
So he's basically he couldn't legally tell us that we could be in public together because the network didn't want that. But he's like, he's you know, it's pretty hard not to see someone for ten weeks or whatever it was, and you and you've asked us to get married. He he disagreed with it, but it wasn't his call. You know, he was like, you've asked, we're actually getting married to strangers, and then so I know you can't see them. Like he's like, so what we did is Angel flew down and basically, um, you know, some one of one of other, I thought I'd probably pick her up from airport. I can't remember who picked her up from airport, but, and we just sort of hung out at home for weekends for them. She wanted to watch the first show together. So we made sure we did that because that'd be pretty weird watching that separately. And I think, I think we watched the first two or three episodes together. And then she might have gone back to a job in Wellington. And yeah, but it was weird. Like I had to, I don't, I don't, not a big wedding ring wearer anyway with my job and stuff, but I wasn't allowed to wear my wedding ring in public. But then, of course, people were like, oh, you're obviously not together then, you know, so. But because um, of the contracts and stuff like that, we applied to the rules pretty good, uh, which is funny now that I look back about it. Um, but, yeah, there's probably – there probably would have been maybe a few people that saw us together in public, but whether they put two or two together, I'm not sure. But, yeah. yeah. It was actually good fun. It was kind of good fun, like, trying to you – know, keeping it a secret. And we obviously told our families and stuff they knew and any close mates asked. I wasn't going to lie to them. Um but most of them didn't want to know. Like they kind of wanted to watch the journey unfold on TV. Yeah. So most of my mates were like, you know, they were. Even the guys were quite enjoying watching it. So even they weren't really worried. They didn't really ask me if he's still there and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And obviously, that was a very um, unique wedding experience for you too. Have you then gone on and had like another nice celebration with family and friends? That's like a, another wedding day that's not all on TV. <laughs> Yeah, um, we've, we planned to. That was the original plan. But then, like, the wedding day just went so well. And it was so perfect. We were like – and it was free. That was the other thing. Oh, we, true. We didn't pay for it. So, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then um, yeah, then financially it was like, oh, well, do we need to have another wedding? And we planned to, but we just never got around to it. Life happens, right? Yeah. And no one's ever really hit us up or put pressure on us to have one. And all our family and friends were there, really. There's maybe a couple of unfortunate people that missed out. But, um, you know, that, that happens with normal wedding, right? Mm. So, so no, we haven't. And we're legally married, so there's no actual legal reasons to do a proper wedding. And here we are now, it's sort of four coming up five years later. Um, I don't think we'll probably have another one. That was it. And that, that's fine. I think it's quite cool. And when, when you did get married, is it like on the show, is that a true legal marriage or is it like a, you know, kind of semi-marriage until it's confirmed but at the end of the show? Like how did that work? Yeah, well, ours was, um, ours was a bit dodgy. It's probably another whole podcast in itself. Um, <laughs> ours, was, ours was legal um, legal marriage and then one of the other contestants um, who didn't go well for him, um, I think he ended up taking the court. I don't even know how that went. But, yeah, there's quite a big story behind all that side of it. But, yeah, but we were legally married and we were fine with that because ours worked well. But for the guys that didn't, it, it, so it caused some issues with them. Mm. Um, so then the next year, they, I'm pretty sure because of that court case, I don't even know how it went. But I'm pretty sure the ne- I know 100% the next year it wasn't a legal wedding mm. and the same as the Aussie ones. Because of, um, you know, for, for it's okay for like me and Angel went great, so it's good. But the legal wedding suite, but if it didn't go good, like all those other people, yeah, I think it. So now they're not actual proper weddings, yeah. Well, it could get pretty messy, couldn't it? Because then it's like if most don't work on those shows now, particularly like the Australian one. Oh my goodness, um, you know, it just ends up with a whole heap of divorces. <laughs> Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly, so. which is just a waste of your own time and money sort of thing. So, exactly. So, yeah, they, they changed it, but but weirdly, our, our year was um, legal, yeah. Mm, wow, very intense, yeah. Have you since, so before you went on, you'd never watched a show, have you since watched the other shows like Australia or New Zealand, Maths? Um, no, I can't stand it, which is, which <laughs> is so funny. I don't want to hear, they're probably, they're probably out there thinking I'm a big fan. Like, to be fair, I, I, I didn't mind watching... Um, the New Zealand one, because um, a few of the contestants, even some of the guys before they went on it, like sort of messaged out to me and I should meet up with a couple and had a beer and, uh, um, oh, that's cool. and sort of, ex- you know, tried to help them out as best I could. Clearly it didn't work. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I had a bit of an interest and one of Angel's friends, Dan, was on the second season 
and we actually went to his wedding. Um, so one of Angel's friends was on the second season, so we watched that. And then the third season, yeah, I think we watched that. And I, mean, I don't know if there was a fourth, no. but oh, I'm like most blokes out there. It's funny, though, um, from all the sort of field days and AMP shows and stuff I do, the, the amount of guys that watch it, it's actually quite, it's quite up there. I, I'd never watch it. Um, but I guess if, if your wife's got control, uh, you know, control of the remote whenever it's on, you've got probably got no choice. Um, but yeah, I find it quite bizarre that it's a very high rating show. Um, but hey, whatever, it's good. Whatever, whatever, whatever you like, you like. It's funny though. I feel like a lot of guys, when their partner's watching like something about, um, I don't know, like The Bachelor or Love Island or something like that, that's like, yeah, they they can't help but watch. And then they'll be like, oh, I don't want to watch it. But then they get invested in it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I've got a um, shout out to the Kingston Builder crew. I'm hates of builders and um, I just had lunch with them today, actually. And they are huge fans of any sort of uh, reality shows like Love Island and stuff. And, they, you know, you'd, you'd meet these guys, they're big, hard rugby players, and you'd never expect them to be into Love Island, you know, and they just can't wait to talk about it. And then Mondays are generally like, oh, how's rugby? Oh, you know, oh, but did you see Love Island, you know? Like, they get actually um, tagged in a lot of posts because of it. And I think there's actually quite a lot of um, yeah, men out there that say they're not into it. They so are. I'm not one of those. <laughs> yeah. I'm not one of those, I want to make that clear. Are you sure? <laughs> I like, yeah, yeah, I am. I like Lego Masters, and there's a couple reality shows I quite like, yeah. but, um, but yeah, Married at First Sight is definitely not one of them, no. no. And, I mean, how have you found life since, like, did maths and being on TV open a lot of other opportunities for you with life and work, or has it been much the same? Yeah, 100%. I can't... Um, ever sort of talk down, um, you know, the opportunity. And I got a wife out of it, you know, so it's pretty life-changing. Um, <laughs> we haven't got any money or a car or anything, but I got a wife, it's pretty, pretty good. And, yeah, it's been great. Like, as soon as the show ended, um, you know, like most successful sort of people in those sort of shows, you know, you get agents that talk to you and stuff. We chose not to get one in, but the one thing I sat down was, like, oh, what can I, what do I want to do from here? And one thing was help diabetes out. Mm. Um, so I became an ambassador for Diabetes New Zealand and we've done Fitbit challenges. We went on Family Feud and we raised some money for diabetes, which was cool. So, yeah, as much as I can, um, I like to help out Diabetes New Zealand. They're all volunteers as well, so you know, everyone's time precious and stuff like that. Um, but that's been really cool, mm. helping them out um, just in real, real random stuff, actually, like, Diabetes Youth Taranaki, um, one of me and Angel and their team, we ran around the whole of Mount Taranaki. And that was cool. That was one of the best things ever did. And we flew up and, um, you know, we just volunteered for them. It's great. And just, and just, and then we did that two years in a row and then seeing the kids the next year and Amazing. some of the parents saying, oh, it was really cool. You come up, Brett, and did that. And so as a team, we ran around the whole of Mount Taranaki. It's like a two or three day event. And everyone had a shift. Me and Angel did the last league and we got all the kids to join in with us. And, Angle's a really good runner, actually. I'm terrible, but um, but that was just fun and just cool. And so heaps of those sort of opportunities from the show have, have just been awesome, yeah. yeah. So around Mount Taranaki, how far is that run? I don't know, but people either Google it, but it's a huge event. It's um, There's ultra-marathon guys that do it, and it takes them sort of two or three days, I think. It's oh. quite funny. We're, 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 we're a lot of our team, the diabetes team, a lot of people walk it, and uh, we've got young kids, we've got, all sorts of people, teenagers, adults, parents do it. And we all sort of um, will meet at the stop and then cheer the person across the line. Then they'll tag the next person. And we do it and I think it's like a Friday night. We leave at like midnight and we come in on the Sunday afternoon. And we're sort of finishing around the same, same time as these ultra marathon guys. And we're all pumped up. And we've got the music and we're like, yeah, have a big party. And then there's these guys sort of, Finishing the same time, it's quite funny who, well, it's not funny for them, but, you know, blisters and they can hardly, you know, they look like they can hardly walk, you know, and they've, they've done the whole thing on their own, just continuous. So, um, but we do it as a team of like 30 of us, but it's such a cool event. So anyone out there in New Zealand, you know, that's just such a cool event to do as a, as a diabetes youth organisation. Mm. I kind of, I've said to other um, diabetes youth around New Zealand, if, um, if they, that obviously not everyone's got a mountain like Mount Taranaki, but really cool event 
um, that they do every year. And me and Angel will always support them and go up and do it for them. COVID, I think, affected the last one. Mm. But, um, yeah, there'll be some of them listening, I'm sure, and I'd love to get back up there and such a cool event. Yeah, it's so good. I think it's such a um, true reflection of how genuine you are that, you know, you used your exposure from being on TV to then go and help such a good cause. I think that is such a lovely way to do it because I feel like with these reality TV shows, especially now, there's a lot of people who go on for just just to basically boost themselves and very selfish reasons. But, um, you know, if you can get on and actually help other people through that exposure, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, well, it's been quite bizarre because, you know, like when I when it, when it all sort of happened, that, that was what I wanted to do. You know, like I basically, even before when I'm out at first sight, I just really wanted to be a role model for young diabetics and things. And for it actually to come has just been awesome. Like yeah. for it actually to sort of go full circle and, even now on Instagram, um, the amount of sort of mums and and people that message me, just simple things. Um, even a young girl just messaged me today about she's doing a school project at Marlborough Girls High and wants some help with a diabetes sort of interview similar to this. And I'm like, yeah, no worries. Like, more than happy. And I've always said that any time. And all type diabetic ones are the same. We, we all know how hard it is, so we all want to help each other out. Mm-hmm. and we're all in it together it's it's massive thing so yeah just been very fortunate um not only to get a wife but also to be able to help out yeah. diabetes people all over new zealand which is cool yeah and i'll just keep doing that as, as, as long as they want me <laughs> <laughs> it's a win-win i think it's wonderful yeah uh, yeah it is good yeah Cool. Hey, Brett, thank you so much for taking time from your working day to have a catch up and talk all things diabetes and maths and everything else. It has been wonderful. Is there anything else you would like to finish with or um, to wrap up this podcast? Oh, um, no, I think we've covered everything. Just, um, yeah, shout out to any top one diabetic out there, the, every pin cushion around New Zealand. Yeah, feel free to reach out to me on um, Instagram or anywhere you like and got time for you all and i know you'd have time for me as well so but yeah and, and good and thanks to you for doing these podcasts i know you've had a couple other diabetic guests on there and uh yeah it's just awesome because it, there's so much to it and you can just speak about it for hours um so the more sort of awareness and the more we talk about it is just a win-win for everyone it's great so thank you as well for doing it no you're welcome having worked in um, diabetes for a number of years although i don't have diabetes myself i am very passionate about it and yeah i think we can do a lot to help other people so yeah cheers brett thanks